lights in the sky, unidentified craft, and government secrecy. Join us as we navigate the cosmic enigmas that left witnesses bewildered and the world questioning what may lurk beyond our understanding. Tonight on Newsworthy, two words and two question marks. scoured the podcast world and finally found us newsworthy with steve and jerry where we delve into all things mysterious macabre or out of this world and decide if they are truly newsworthy two words and two question marks why should you work with ed Locke? A better question is, why wouldn't you work with him? He is a proud to support an amazing lender, USA Mortgage. When you work with them, you can expect a home financing experience that is free of hassles and headaches. They have complete control over your loan due to in-house operations such as processing, underwriting, closing, and funding. USA Mortgage represents a lot of fantastic things but they are especially thrilled to partner in several community outreach programs, including Habitat for Humanity, Home Sweet Home, Veterans Community Project, and many, many more. They love going to work every day, which means they love working for you. Ed wants to be your lender for life, so reach out to him today and get the journey started. If you would like more information, please reach out to Edlock at area code 502-680-0953. NMLS 448-908, USA Mortgage NMLS 227-262. USA Mortgage is an equal housing lender. This is not a commitment to lend. Additional terms and conditions may apply. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Hello, gentlemen. How are you today? Doing great. Getting better yourself. Ah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Doing great. Very good. Same. Love to be here. Brett is back with us again today. I think. Uh, Welcome back, Brett. We, we've actually got him a niche put down here on the That's end of right. the table. I got my own, my own little space over here. <laughs> got plenty of room. You got good stuff. Well, Brett's with us uh, again this week. Um, last week, I uh, had my first uh, surgery. So only about 50% today. So. You get to listen to these gentlemen uh, talk a lot, a lot we, more. We apologize for that ahead of time. <laughs> you know, here's the good thing, though. What's that? This is the first time in the history of our podcast, Jerry, that I am doing it uh, in my pajamas. <laughs> um, I don't know why you don't more often. I don't because it's not my home. <laughs> well, you know, there's a standard decorum. Come on now. <laughs> You know, you at some point, at some point, we will have you know video. I think, well, especially I think now that we're doing forgetting the... mine and your number one fashion rule. What's that? We make everything look good. <laughs> I don't know. I look pretty rough. I haven't shaved in over a week. My hair is all over the place. But I just real quick before we get started, I wanted to take a quick second and. 
thank Dr. Awad and the Ear, Nose, and Throat team at UK Marquee Cancer Center. Took good care of me last week. We are recovering. Uh, rough surgery. Unfortunately, have to have another one. Uh, but uh, they did a great job. I'm here. I'm breathing. That's I always important. used to make fun of, I always people say, you know, how's your day? And I would always say, well, I woke up on the sunny side of the dirt. Um, I can actually have more meaning to that now and uh I'm sure uh it means a great deal to me they took real good care of me and uh, uh so i just want to give a shout out to them and and the care that they've given me and speaking of care you know robin has been wonderful since i came home to the point even that uh, i had to buy her some new beads for her abacus really yeah you know it's the small things that count <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I had a tough week. <laughs> well, I mean, I kind of did. Oh. I accidentally gave my girlfriend a glue stick instead of chapstick. Really? Oh, she man. still won't talk to me. <laughs> I think you just found the secret there. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I think you could sell that. Probably, yeah. You could probably... <laughs> I'm telling your wife. <laughs> you know what's you know what's bad is I make her listen to these podcasts after. Oh, <laughs> so really? you can hear this. So I want to tell a joke, but it's so not appropriate listen, for this. Mine wouldn't even listen to the podcast that we change the format. She hates politics, so when we used to do the political oh, version, right, yeah. would not listen. Now she kind of digs it, so we're in good shape there. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about aliens tonight. Uh, did you all hear about the alien that was obsessed with the moon? No. With the moon? No, I didn't. Turns out it was just a phase. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Jerry, what? please, before we go further, please say tell tell the joke that you told at dinner tonight, please. <laughs> About one? the boxers. <laughs> the boxers? Oh. <laughs> uh, now, if you have kids, you might want to cover their ears for just a second. That's the ready to eat was, 10 plus. Yeah, probably. Why do boxers not have sex before the big fight? Why? Because they really don't even like each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stephen loved that one. When he heard it the first time, the guy literally laughed for, what, three or four minutes, Brad? Uh, at least. At one point, he was over and said, over. it hurts. Yeah. It hurts. <laughs> No, it was my stitches. I'm That's sure. what hurt. <laughs> Laughed so hard that it was about to burst oh, his wounds. Oh man! Over. So we got some, we got some really cool things we're talking about tonight. But first off, what? How was your week, Brett? It was wonderful. My uh, my four year old celebrated her birthday Sunday, so we had everybody <laughs> over. Uh, it was a good week. That's awesome. It got, it got a little bit warmer here in Kentucky. You Ooh, know, we we had a cold spell there helps. for a second, and then now it's. Today was what in the seventies? Yeah. Almost eighty degrees today. I mean, in November. So, yeah, mid-November. Yeah, almost yeah. eighty degrees. I think it was seventy-eight. Is what I got up to today. Hard to complain with weather like that. Yeah, in the middle of September, or September, November. November. Yeah. Yes, it. Uh, About you, Jerry. How was your nice. week? Very good. Other than the girlfriend chapstick incident. <laughs> is this the same girlfriend who you took the wheelchair away from? Her? No, different one. <laughs> okay. Just curious. I still hear she's crawling back. <laughs> haven't been able to find her. I was about to say, now you have to tell that joke. 
No, I think Mort was more than enough. <laughs> I, I think I can hear it again. Still I'm sure you remember it. You can tell it yourself if you want. I've got enough hate mail on that one. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I need to, we jokingly, to digress, we jokingly send out uh, jokes that probably aren't even close to being appropriate for the show. Yeah. And we say that we're asking for permission for this joke. And some of the ones that, that we throw out are, yeah. I certainly know why Steve is required that I submit <laughs> permission before I do them. We got to save those for Patreon. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We'll get a Patreon established at some point in the future and then we can let it roll. Make sure it's 18 point. plus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Well, if you get behind a paywall, you can say whatever you want. You yeah, know? that's yeah. true. So. Uh, but until then, a good point. we do have children that listen to this podcast. And if they don't sure. listen, their parents listen while they're in the car. I know that for a fact. I've had people come up to me and say, thanks for making this kind of content that's not, you know, that's something that they can listen to while in the yeah. car with a kid. So as, there's a reason we do it, you know, yeah, to be honest. For sure. We try to fill that niche in that role. So That we do. So anyway, so you guys... You know, because of my surgery and being down, you guys pick the topic. We got, hopefully next week, we're starting on a series, right? Uh, like a three-part series, probably. Yeah. Um, and, and we're going to really, really dig into some cool stuff next week. This week, I caught you guys off guard because I didn't, I thought for a second I was going to be able to go, and then it kind of, eh. Um, so you guys came up with some cool topics. I'm excited to talk with both of y'all about them. Um Let's even tell them what we plan on starting next week. Oh. Ties right in with this, I think. It, so. it, does. it does. So other than the the guy over Mount Rainier who coined the term flying saucer, flying disc, the initial spark, if you will, into the UFO phenomenon was Roswell. Sure. And that's where we're starting next week. Uh, we're going to probably start with the people and the characters um, who were involved in Roswell, the crash, the farmers, the, the the servicemen, all of those, to what happened with the stuff and then where to go from there. And that's going to lead into a whole series. And, you know, Roswell's been covered 100 ways from Sunday. Sure. Uh, yeah. But we hope to be able to bring some some fresh eyes to it. We're going to cover it in a little different way by breaking it up between what the different uh, sections are, if you will. Most people try to do it all one time, and they kind of water it down. We're going to take a little time, so we'll be able to let it sprout, if you will. Um, and I do have a really cool personal story yeah, that absolutely. I'm going to share. Yeah. So Can't wait for that. Yeah, if you're cool. listening... Yeah, tune in for that because it's going to be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. That that kind of blew me away today. I'm I'm stoked by that. It blew me away. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to get into all of that starting next week. We're going to start it off with Roswell uh, part one next week. But for tonight, Jerry, uh, let's see. Jerry, you didn't want to start. Brett, you wanted to start tonight, did? Yeah, you? yeah. I'll start. So uh, I was going to be talking about the Phoenix Lights today, and and honestly, before. I, you know, we had decided to pick this topic. I'd never even heard of this. Really? And, and once I started researching it, I was like, how the heck have I never heard of the Phoenix Lights? Same. 
Totally agree. I, I mean, it was wow. It blows me away, guys. I, it Seriously. blows me away because you know I, I feel like I, I'm right there with you. I've never I, heard of it. I keep up with some of this stuff, and this is completely just you know surpassed my knowledge. So, anyways, um, the Phoenix Lights were a series of widely sighted, unidentified flying objects uh, observed in the skies over Arizona and Nevada on March 13th of 1997, which was a great year. Because that's the year I was born. <laughs> uh, well, that's why you didn't know. Shoot. That's, I, I wasn't even really born then. So <laughs> I was born in July, a couple months later. But uh, So basically, there were unexplainable lights that were seen between 7.30 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. in a space of about 300 miles that range from the Nevada line all the way through Phoenix to the edge of Tucson, Arizona. So just going through the timeline of events as this this occurred at 7.55, a witness in Henderson, Nevada, reported seeing a large V-shaped object that was traveling southeast towards Arizona. Over the next couple of hours, there were reports of sightings from thousands of people as it moved southeast into Arizona. Uh, one of those who actually ended up writing a book, she's a medical doctor. Her name's Lynn Keedy. Um she said that she witnessed the event and the craft was one to eight miles wide, gliding low enough that some people could throw a rock at it. It was going at extremely low speeds and she was actually able to capture the event on video. These things were just to throw it out there because you weren't around. I was not. <laughs> you young pup. <laughs> These things were slow. Yeah. It wasn't, right. you know, so many times we talk about UFOs, we're talking about how fast or how crazy yeah. the G's are. Humans can't do this kind of stuff. These were moving so slow and so silently that one of the things that people try to pass off it as was flares. Right. Yeah, and I was <laughs> going to get into that too. It's, so it's, it doesn't make any sense. Silent, yeah. right. slow. I think it was like over 106 minutes. And flares do not travel the no. way that this thing travels. No, they go up and then they kind of yeah, float it's, down. It's the, and I'll, I'll definitely get into this. The explanations that they give of this event are completely absurd. Yeah. Can so I, anyway, I was just want to throw that out. Just the, the, the fact that there's so many people that it was slow and... and there's a lot to it. Right. I, I don't mean to steal your thunder. No, Go you're ahead. good. It, so it, it then so once it it traveled it traveled through to Phoenix. It hovered over Phoenix for three hours, and then it disappeared over the horizon. So a number of photo photographs and videos were taken of this event, and you can look at some of those on YouTube or you can look it up on Google. They're insane. <laughs> um, the, so one author, his name was Robert Schaefer. He described it as perhaps the most widely witnessed UFO event in history, which is why I'm so I, I'm amazed that I have never heard of this because it's once you start looking into it, it's crazy. Uh, so as Steve was kind of saying, uh, shortly after this happened, uh, representatives from the National Guard and the Air Force came out and were saying that the uh, that they that the event was actually caused by an aircraft participating in Operation Snowbird, which was a pilot uh, training program of the Air Guard based in Davis uh, Monathan Air Force Base, which was based in Tucson, Arizona. So they said that the first group of lights were later identified as a formation of A-10 Thunderbolt II aircraft flying over Phoenix while returning to Davis Monathan. 
And the second group of lights, as Steve talked about, was identified as illumination flares dropped by another flight of A-10 aircraft. So when I was researching this, I looked up, you know, when they drop flares and what that looks like. Not even close to what this event was described as and the pictures that were, were taken of this event. It does not act like a flare whatsoever. Hey, Brett. Yeah. So they talk about the A-10 Thunderbolts. Yeah. Also known as the Warthogs. Um, that is powered by a, I want to say, a Pratt and Whitney turbofan um, jet. Jet. If anyone's right. been anywhere near an airport yep. in your life or been outside as a jet flies over, you can hear it. And especially if they were in formation and there was multiple jets, you would hear it. Quite easily. Quite easily. As now, I, I was excited to get your, because if everybody doesn't know, Steve has a pilot's license. So he is a lot more experienced than, you know, most of us out there. I was really excited to get his. Well, I don't have my license yet. Working real close okay. on that. But okay. um, just for all fairness. But, yeah, if, if you are in a jet, if you were in a Cessna, you would hear it. Right. Okay. And a Cessna is a little single you know, yeah. that's what I would fly. Yeah. Um, you would hear that. The thing that they continue to ignore is the fact that this was completely silent. Yeah. And it's and it, and it, at, it, some some people described it as like 150 feet in the air. So just for reference, <laughs> anybody who's ever played baseball, from home plate to first base is 90 feet. Wow. So you're talking as far as you can throw a <laughs> baseball easily. I mean, most people can throw a baseball easily ninety feet. So this is this is you know right on top of their rooftops. This is this is gliding super low. And like Steve said, you would one hundred percent if this was a if this was a jet, you would you would hear it. It would be super loud. You know, and A tens are are a close ground support aircraft. Um, the the Army and and the Air Force have been trying to phase them out for a hundred years, but we can't find a plane that does what it does any better and it is a very slow flying aircraft but it is not a 106 minute hovering over phoenix in perfect uh, no no uh, slow flying aircraft no. and and <laughs> and so one thing i kind of wanted to point out was so five simmington he was the governor of arizona at the time he was also a retired air force pilot from the vietnam war i believe uh he so he witnessed this event and in an interview he said that what he saw was nothing like anything he had ever seen. He said that when he went outside to check the commotion was about, he saw a large aircraft. He said, he described it as big as an aircraft carrier, which is, for those of you who don't know how big an aircraft carrier, it's, it's super big. It's like a small city, you know, miles wide or miles long. It has more, an aircraft carrier, the, the Eisenhower, is it the Eisenhower or the Nimitz? Eisenhower. That's the newest one, isn't it? It's not the Eisenhower. I'd have to be. No, new. the Gerald R. Ford. That's the newest one. Uh, it has over 5,000 people. My right. hometown Several doesn't have 5,000 right. people. <laughs> so, so you're right. It is a it's city. It's a small city. It I, is a small my, uh, city. Yeah, my brother in law, he was in the Marines. He was on an aircraft carrier. He said it was, I mean, it took a long time to get to the other side of the. You were on one part of the aircraft carrier. I mean, it was, it was huge. 
So anyways, he, he said that it was, it was about the size of an aircraft carrier with bright lights that was moving super slowly across the sky. He said that it was, in his opinion, more technologically advanced than anything the government could have had at the time and still could have currently. And then he said that he believed that it was something from another world. So right after this happened, he kind of made a joke about it, and he had a press conference where he he said, "Oh, he found the culprit, and he brought out a you know a dude in an alien costume." He's he's since said that he was somewhat forced to kind of make a joke of the event, and has spoken a lot about about this event, saying that he definitely believes that this was not something that the government was doing, but it was something that was. Uh, that was alien, extraterrestrial. So just talking about Arizona for a second, something that, that I kind of found in my research was, according to the National UFO Reporting Center, there have been around 5,000 UFO reportings in the state of Arizona alone, going back to the 1940s. The first was in 1947, and a UFO was captured by a photographer. The picture, uh, you can look it up on Google. It's it's everywhere. It shows a metallic flying object at extremely low altitudes. And to this day, the photos are never debunked. So clearly something is going on here. Again, thousands of people witnessed this event. Um, like I said, I cannot believe that I did not know about this. Um, well, go ahead, Jerry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, you, you don't know about it because when... Things like this happen that people don't want you to know about. They it's, bring it out and then they it's not wipe talked it off. about. They just yeah. stop talking about it. Yeah, um, you know, and it is crazy. I just want to. You said it was as the the governor says as big as a uh, uh, aircraft carrier. <laughs> so I looked up the USS General R. Ford. It's our newest aircraft carrier in the Navy. One hundred thousand long tons. Uh, basically, it's powered by not one but two nuclear reactors. <laughs> and, can, and I just want you guys to imagine that something of that size moving at that speed, staying in flight. Yeah. Because the way lift works right. is you have to move. You to have to have to, speed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, the Gerald R. Ford, including all, has a full complement of 4,539 sailors. It's crazy. <laughs> It's it's it's, unf- it's it's crazy to think about how big this thing is. And you know, we've had a couple of sightings like this in in history. Um, the Phoenix Lights is, is is probably the most modern, but early back in the was it the forties, Jerry, or the twenties, we had the, the attack on the siege on Washington, Washington, where for over an hour and a half, and you, you should probably look this up. We used artillery in defending the White House over something. How do I not know about it? That's what um, I'm saying. Like, it's, and, I've never uh, heard about it. And this. this is this is this is something that you can Google right now and, yeah. and find that um, for an hour and a half we used artillery to defend the White House over a threat above the White House. <laughs> it's one of those things that people want it to go away, so they just stop talking about it. Right. And I, I have some I, I I pulled some information and I, I ran some calculations. I want I'm gonna go over those in the, sure. at the end. I think that's it's pretty interesting. So I'll let I'll let Jerry go first though. So 
Oh, still is thunder. Oh, no. You're, um, so I just think it's an amazing thing. I think that, you know, if, if anyone wants to pull a video of, of the governor and once he left office was a whole different right. uh, mentality, a whole different. While he was doing that press conference, it was all fun and games. But as soon as he left office, he got deadly serious with this. He's like, look, yeah. that's, we were coerced into doing Yeah, that. I started to say, do you not think that they, even the governors, are to a large degree forced to, he, here's the the line, that here's yeah. the story 100%. that Everybody we're going involved. to put out? I'm sure from, you know, the national, whoever, yeah. some of the national security agencies come to him and they're like, okay, bud, we know you're governor of the state, but here's here's the story that we're going with. You have well, to get on board. One interview I was watching with him, he was he was saying that he, uh, like right after he had witnessed the event, he came back inside and he he turned to his wife and he, he, his wife was like, why are you so pale? Because he had just, he had just witnessed something so insane that he he literally turned pale. I mean, he was just like, just overwhelmed with with what he just saw. You know, when when you believe a certain way your whole life, and something happens to change those beliefs, that's profound. Yeah, you know, that's a thing that will make you pale. It, it'll put you into a state of emotional shock. I I just think of the. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I just think of Rogue One, where you they, they show that image of like the Death Star over, uh, I forget the place, Scarif over the Scarif. Just like everybody on that planet looking up, and then the Death Star just sitting right there, it just, just shows up, just showing. I mean, just how and how scared would you be? And, and, and this is this is exactly what made me think of this. It's like just looking up and seeing this huge object flying like that. Across the sky. And, and and it was obviously, and here's my thought. It was obviously of some sort of intelligent design because it was black. Okay. Right. Um, if it were in the middle of the day, would it not be black? Is that is that a, op, a, an opportunity for camouflage? There's just so many questions. And and every every explanation that has come out from from the national from the National Guard, Air Force, whoever. It's just complete bogus. I mean, there's no way that any of these explanations could be could be real. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to learn how the government learned how to do all that <laughs> covering up crazy stuff, aren't we? <laughs> I just think it's our natural. I, I don't even think it comes from a bad place. I don't even think no, it comes yeah. from, you know, we, I think it's simply as we were saying earlier, they're trying to prevent mass hysteria. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's so... In 1952, Washington, D.C., between July 12th and July 29th, uh, was inundated with reports of UFOs over Washington. And it was during that time that we had the... uh, That is crazy. Isn't it? That's never... I mean, that's not taught in schools. (laughs) That seems like a big event that would be... You would think. ...talked about, you know, as... You would definitely think. You would think that the people in Washington, D.C. would at least talk about it. Like, hey, grandkids, I remember one time where all these things were in the sky and we were shooting at them and nothing was happening. I'm not going to get into it in detail here. We can always cover it later. But, yeah, in 1952, it was called the Washington Flap, if you want to Google that or find that information. 
But yeah, I, I I just think that the Phoenix Lights, man, they have pictures of what they think that it looked like. Well, you can see video images of what the lights look like, at least. I mean, it's kind of hard to picture or hard, hard to see the overall shape, but you can at least see the lights. And the lights are very spherical in shape. It's 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 not anything that I've ever seen. And it's not anything that you're going to look at that and say, yep, that's flare. Yep. 100%. <laughs> and, and, and the flare is not going to travel the distance that this thing right. traveled. Right. At the speed that this thing traveled, at the elevation that this thing traveled. Right. It, 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 there's just, it, there's no way. I 100% agree with you. 100%. Have you ever read the book, The Chariots of the Gods? I've not, no. Okay, so when you talk a little bit later about some of those things that you're going to talk about, we have to bring Eric Von Deniken up because he's the author of that and probably a mind before his time, to be honest, because of what you're about to talk about. But um, it's one of my favorite books, by the way. Huh, I'll check it out. For sure. Yeah. Anyway, Jerry, yes. what do you think about the Phoenix Lights? You're being awful quiet. Um. I think it's very, very similar to the one that I'm going to talk about. Ooh. And I'll get to it in a minute. I think it, both of them go to the heart of something I've heard you talk about. And it's true whether you're talking about UFOs or Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever. And, and I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, Which is what? Basically, the, a whole lot of this stuff is crap. I don't care what percentage you want to look at. A lot of it's crap. UFOs, Bigfoot. You, you can take 80, 90 percent of it and throw it away. It's a bunch of drunk rednecks that had, you know, they did too many shrooms. Whatever. <laughs> there's a lot of. Re- and, and Thousands a lot of, it, of people. That's my point. In this case, there's a few cases. Again, 85, 90 percent is crap. Yeah. But there's a percentage where there's just way too much evidence. Yours, this one. This one doesn't have thousands of people, but the people in Scott are pretty believable. I, I somewhat agree with you. I, I'm actually, I just re- read The Lord of the Rings, and in there they say, with every story, there's a bit of truth. Yeah. And I 100% believe that. Yes. that. With every story, there's a bit of truth. Well, in, in, in the lot of that, and I don't disagree with that, but everybody's truth is different. Yeah. You know, even in, and we were talking earlier, there's a lot of parables because we don't know how to describe something that we've saw. So we, we, well, it looked like this in my mind. Yeah. Well, just, you know, an airplane in a particular way, it doesn't, you look up in the sky, it doesn't, some of them, because of optics, doesn't look like they have wings, but they do. Can you imagine how some of the, First people describe the northern lights to other people. Case in Good point, example. Right? Yeah, right. Right. You know, they would have no It wasn't people trying to bullshit other people. It right. wasn't people trying to stretch the truth. There's some things that are really hard to describe. And, yeah. and actually that was one thing that the governor had had talked about in his interview. It was he said it was like putting Christopher Columbus in the cockpit of a Boeing Triple Seven. He said that's what it was like for him for him at least. And, and to me, that's just, you know, for someone who is a pilot himself, something that was so technologically advanced that you think it's that right. advanced to, to where you can't even explain how the government could have something like this. Right, right. No, I get it. I, it, it, it is a thing. And what I, what I appreciate about the Phoenix Lights more than anything is that there's, it was during the cell phone age. 
Yeah. You know, the very beginnings, there were videos. There were, we did have actual videos of this. We at least Um, have video recorders. Yeah. Right. 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 And, and there was enough of those to be able to, they can't just push it away. Yeah. You know. So, Jerry, yes. you're going to take us from Phoenix, where it's dry and, and lots across of sun. Across the big pond. Across uh-huh. the pond to a forest, I hear. That is correct. The Rendlesham Forest in England. Ooh. The Rendlesham Forest, again, I think these two are very similar. I begin to read about it, and I'm, again, I'd never heard of it. Never heard it mentioned. I begin to read about it, and I'm like, "Holy crap! Why is this not being taught? Why are <laughs> kids Why are kids allowed to graduate from high school without this being mandatory reading?" But the Rendlesham Forest incident was a series of reported sightings of unexplained lights near the, believe it or not, the Rendlesham Forest in Suffolk, England, which is approximately 100 miles northeast of London. It's in eastern England, just to give you an idea of where it happened in December of 1980. Now, these events occurred just outside the Royal Air Force Woodbridge, which at the time was being used by the United States Air Force. We had a NATO base there that the United States Air Force was running at the time. And the United States Air Force personnel, including Deputy Base Commander Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, claimed to see things that they described as extraterrestrial. This is American General. This is American uh, Colonel. Colonel. Lieutenant Colonel at the time. He was Colonel when he retired. This was a joint base between us and, okay. and Britain. But, it, well, it was leased to us. It was ran by us. It was mm-hmm. their base. They owned it, but it, it really but was a joint. We were using it. We were running it as a, a NATO base at the time. This incident has been called Britain's Roswell, by the way. Um, by the way, I, I want to digress for a second. UFOs or UAPs, unidentified flying objects, Unidentified aerial phenomena. Whichever. Same thing, right? Yeah. To me, there is no way any logical thinking person could ever disagree. There's no way. It's impossible. Wait, you're saying disagree with UFOs and UAPs are the same? No, no. That they exist. Oh, right. Well, yeah. you're they're unidentified. That's all. The, the, right. the description says. What, what, so you're saying whether you there, believe in aliens or not. We often make the jump. You're absolutely right. We often right. make the jump and try. We almost inherently think that UFO, oh, they're trying to say there's aliens. No, it simply means that there's objects there in the sky we can't identify. And I, I, I would say that that's the reason they changed it from UFOs to UAPs. Probably. <laughs> I, 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 I think that's the reason they Probably changed right. it because UFOs is so associated with aliens that they had no description of every time they say, oh, we have an unidentified flying object, oh, it's aliens. And so they had to come up with a, a different acronym to say, well, this could be also be another government. This could be, you know. It could be anything. anything. Simply unidentified. Right. That's what it means. Well, see, I, now, I have to disagree with you, Brad, because a unidentified flying object is an object. There's a difference between an object and a phenomena. What is the difference? Well, an object is a thing, a person, place, a thing, an object. What is a phenomenon? It could be an object. Could right. be an object. It doesn't object. have to be. It could so be anything. It simply doesn't limit it to that. But right. It really doesn't change what I it is. Yeah, I, 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 think I, it is, I think it has more to do with the fact that when they changed this, when they, when they moved the switch to the UAP, 
it also was taken into account that some of the things that even our own Navy has video of goes not only in the air flying, but also transverses into the water. So still was an object. But did that. I guess I guess you could make it if it goes in the water, it's not flying. But I I, I, I see well, what you're saying. I see it, what you're saying. I, I I really do believe that they changed it for that reason. Because the flying of the, part doesn't change because they went from flying to aerial. Both are in the sky. Well he's saying they go into flying to the water. But and I and I have seen those. But where, UAP is unidentified aerial. Phenomena. I, I I agree with you. I, I agree with yeah. your reason. I <laughs> yeah. think that's why they I, probably changed. It. Because there's such a, a everyone associated with a, aliens to UFOs, and yes. so they're like, well, it may not be an alien, so we're going to come up with this new acronym with UAPs. But anyways, so according to how stuff works, the shift from UFO to UAP was subtle but significant. UAPs encompass a much broader definition, including unidentified anonymous, anonymous, no, that's not right, anomalous phenomena in the sky. This change in terminology was partly due to recent years of data collected by the National Security Department and civil stargazers. So that's what that's that's your reasoning. But I. I still think that the reason, to me. I yeah, I, I still think that the reason was. I agree. UFOs are associated with aliens, so we're going to change the acronym a little bit with the same meaning, so that we can talk totally about agree. this without people saying, "Oh, aliens." One I, of them had a negative connotation this, associated with it. This report mentions that the rigorous scientific Methodist Methodist <laughs> the <laughs> scientific Methodist. the the scientific <laughs> Methodist out there, John Wesley's out there, and no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> The rigorous scientific methods applied to UAP research is using advanced technologies, radar included. It was no longer just about eyewitness accounts. The focus had shifted to a hard evidence and understanding of the nature of these events. So I, I still think that's. I, I still think that's. Anyways, I, I don't I think agree. that 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 goes into anything a, we said. I think it's a forest and trees thing. It doesn't really matter. We're, we're going <laughs> to cut them all down right here. So, anyway, so, sorry, Jerry. No, no, no. You, Jerry fine. did that on purpose. <laughs> did what? Got us off on a side tangent. Let's read this. Story. Yeah, absolutely. Man. <laughs> anyway, back to the Rundlesham Forest. Yes, please. Approximately 0300 on December 26. What? You're right. Christmas night. They go to bed the next morning. 0300 the next morning. 1980. A security patrol near the east gate of the Royal Air Force Woodbridge saw lights apparently descending into the nearby forest. Servicemen initially thought that it was a downed aircraft, and according to Holt's memo, upon entering the forest to investigate, they witnessed a glowing object that was metallic in appearance with colored lights. As they attempted to approach the object, it appeared to move through the trees, and the animals on a nearby farm went into a frenzy. Now, after daybreak on the next morning, Servicemen returned to the small clearing on the eastern edge of the forest, and they found three small impressions on the ground in a triangular pattern, which was approximately one and a half inches deep, seven inches in diameter. They also found burn marks. They found broken branches on nearby trees. At around 1030 that morning, the local police were again called out, this time to see the impressions which they thought could have been made by an animal. 
or at least it was possible. A lady by the name of Georgina Bruni wrote a book about this incident. She gave the book a great title. It's called You Can't Tell the People. She published in her book, she had a photograph of the supposed landing site that was taken on the morning after the first sighting. Two days later, Deputy Base Commander Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt visited the site with several other servicemen. They took radiation readings in the Triangle of Depressions and in the surrounding area using an AN-PDR-27, a standard U.S. military radiation survey meter. And they recorded extremely high radiation readings in the area, predominantly in the three impressions and also on a few adjacent trees. They also detected a smaller burst over a half a mile away from the landing site. And Dep- or Lieutenant Colonel Halt also recorded all of these events on a micro cassette recorder that is still available today. Later, according to his memo, there were three lights that were kind of like stars that were seen in the sky, two in the north and one in the south. They were roughly 10 degrees above the horizon. He said that the brightest of those hovered for two to three hours and seemed to beam down a stream of light from time to time. For three years, the Ministry of Defense in Britain and the United States Air Force absolutely and totally denied the incident. Then in early 1983, an American UFO investigators managed to obtain the memo that was written by Deputy Base Commander Colonel Charles Halt. And this memorandum, which was sent to Britain's Ministry of Defense explaining the incident, revealed that two different UFO incidents had occurred in the forest on the perimeter of the U.S. military base. And it involved not only the United States Security Police personnel, but also the Deputy Base Commander himself. He wasn't there the original night. He was in the forest two days later uh, and saw the lights. Three days this went on, right? Not three consecutive days, but on three, two days, three days apart. Right. Makes sense? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Remember when I talked about the You Can't Tell the People book? Yeah. She got someone by the name of Nick Pope that wrote a foreword that I absolutely love. In the beginning of the book, he wrote a foreword, and it it says something that, I mentioned this earlier, I've heard you say many times. Here's the first paragraph. Nick Pope said, and I quote, I work at the Ministry of Defense where between 1991 and 1994, I did what must be one of the most bizarre jobs in the department. Essentially, my task was to evaluate the several hundred UFO sightings reported to the MOD, the Ministry of Defense, each year and and to determine whether there was evidence of any threat to the defense of the United Kingdom. Each sighting was carefully investigated, and I was able to determine that somewhere between 90 and 95 percent could be attributed to the misidentification of ordinary objects or phenomena. There remained, however, a hard core of sightings that defied conventional explanation and involved what appeared to be structured craft of unknown origin capable of maneuvers and speeds beyond the abilities of anything in our inventory, prototype craft included. The best such cases were ones involving trained observers, such as police officers, airline pilots, military personnel, or ones where the sightings could be correlated by photographs, videos, or radar tapes. That's where I think these two have a ton in common. The Phoenix Lights and this one... Thousands of people don't suddenly, miraculously come up with the same story. You don't suddenly have 
lieutenant colonel. His boss, the base commander, the, right. the full board colonel that later was a major general before he retired, a master sergeant, several airmen, in this case, went and investigated and saw this. You don't have this group of people who are suddenly making up these stories. And I, I would even say that the fact that we don't learn about this in schools makes it even more, it makes more of an argument that this is something happened. Something happened. We're trying to cover it up because this many witnesses and this big of an event in America's history, this is world history. We're in Britain. It it just amazes me that that this is not, they're trying to cover up this much. How about I blow your mind just a little bit more than that? Please do. Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that most people who believe in aliens beings from another world think that aliens are here. And one of the things that they do is they are very interested or scared of or scared for us because of our nuclear weapons. Um, It has been documented that in Montana and in our great West where our nuclear missile silos are, which Nuclear missile silos are a pattern of redundancy. They have to be. It's our mutually assured destruction. It's our defense. Um, So if one system fails, another system has to go. Another that system fails, another system has to go. Uh, On numerous occasions in the the West, there's been sightings of aliens and our nuclear facilities in the around those alien sightings shut down completely unable to restart for up to hours at a time. The thing about Rendisham is there were at least two tactical nuclear weapons at Rendisham that we were housing there for their permanent place. Are you serious? Yes. So, Oh, my gosh. Um, that's one of the things that, that, you know, a lot of people who, when they talk about Rendisham, they forget about, that we had tactical nuclear weapons there. Um, And it was a staging point to get them established because this is in the heart of the Cold War. This is right as the Cold War is is ramping up. And we've got to make sure that that NATO is protected against Russia. So there were tactical nukes at Rendersham at the Air Force Base that were there to protect NATO. And, you know... Again, it just goes to show. Now, Jerry, did you get into the, what the what they determined that this object looked like? There was two different reports. One was a triangular shape. Uh, one of the reports, unfortunately, differed and said that it was saucer. Right. So the one that was triangular shape was inside a force field. And I don't know that you covered that. I did not. But the 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 first sergeant that got on scene actually walked through the force field and touched it and James touched it Penninston yeah says that he actually touched the ufo we, we need to talk about bob lazar at some point because absolutely he, he talks about a force field similar to this and just he touched it and it was like you couldn't there was no way to penetrate this force field. anyways right. so he goes through the he goes through the force field he touches it. He actually sees that it has markings, and he described those markings as similar to 
something of a hieroglyph, something that he looked familiar but couldn't put his finger on. Um, so just amazing to me that this happened. And he actually looked back, and the other guy, the 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 soldier, was stuck in a beam of light. He couldn't move. Um, just kidding. I I I just. This is a guy who's a career military man who, if this were some sort of hoax, because there's a lot of people that even the UAF was playing a hoax on the on the Yanks. Um, you don't hoax a man of this type. Right. You know what I'm saying? That was one of the original claims that they tried to throw it off on. They claimed that it was in a dispute between the English SAS and the Americans, and they're right. trying to one-up each other. Right. But again, going back to what you're talking about, let's go over some of the people, and just you tell me if these people are credible and should be believed. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, later <laughs> full Colonel Charles Hall, Deputy Base Commander. So, so he was promoted after yes. this incident. Every right. Lieutenant Colonel I've ever met in my life, and this is no, you know, in junior ROTC, our, we were ran by Lieutenant Colonel, uh, and I've known a couple others, and this is no offense to any lieutenant colonel out there, hard asses. Yeah. No nonsense dudes. Right. They don't they ain't got time to play with right. you or anything else. We ain't be like, oh, we saw some stars and said, thought it was a UFO. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. His so, boss, Colonel Ted Conrad, was a base commander and he was party to part of this and had several memos and reports that he's written on it as well. Major Edward Drury, the Deputy Major in Command of the 81st Security Police and Law Enforcement Squadrons. The First Lieutenant, later Lieutenant Colonel Fred Buren, who was the on-duty shift commander at Central Security Control. He was the one that sent Staff Sergeant Pennington's patrol out in the forest to investigate the UFO to begin with because he saw the lights. Staff Sergeant Pennington, the, the career soldier. Staff Sergeant Monroe Nevels. He was the guy that operated the Geiger counter that took the readings in the forest the now, following day. Did you did you mention that the if you go to Rendlesham right now, the trees that you see in this area are not the same trees that were there then? I didn't mention that. They cut them all down. Every tree in this area because and the rumor is because of irradiation. They were irradiated. Well keep in mind there was Three years before either our government or right, our right. government would even admit that such an incident right, happened and right. only admitted it when a copy of Colonel Halt's memo got out. Right. Then wow. they finally had to oh admit my it. So, <laughs> my point of me mentioning all these people, there's also a couple of airmen, Airman First Class, Jerry Valdez Sanchez, Airman First Class, uh, Carlsbang, part of the security police. Those were the ones that went with. Uh, Sergeant Pennington. But the point is, these are very credible people. Right. They're not 4,000, but when you got 4,000 or you got a whole bunch of people that you, guys, this is not something you can say. It's a bunch of drunk rednecks that had too many shrooms and, last night. And right. again, these guys are in control of at least two tactical nuclear weapons. Oh <laughs> so God. these are not people that are, that are out there. You know, these are not Hogan's another, heroes. That brings up another good point. <laughs> the United States government at one point was trying to say, well, it was around the holidays. 
Yeah. Some drinking may have been going oh, on. Oh, my gosh. And the, the, the journalists were smart enough to say, wait a minute. These are the people guarding a United States NATO base with nuclear weapons. Right. Are you telling us that that's allowed? They right. real quickly walked that story. Right. Back. And, and the, the lieutenant colonel was promoted. The, the <laughs> colonel, you know, it's, it's, if you were drinking on the job with this important of a a task, you would think that you would not get promoted. That if your I'm career not mistaken, is over. every single one of these people were promoted later on in the career, including the colonel. He was a general, oh if I'm goodness. not mistaken. Yeah. Every one of these, I believe, were promoted before their career was over. This yeah. is a, it's just one of those things that, like you said, Jerry, you take all the, you take all of the, all of the reports in the entire world and you throw out the first 95% of them. Trash. And, Aunt Bertha's had too much, too many beans and saw some gas bubbles right. or whatever. Those are all gone. You still got the 5%. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and everyone who's like, you know, all the movies, you know, you see Independence Day, you see, you know, Ender's Game, things like that. It's, the alien life comes here to decimate Earth. You, you hear stuff like this. If they wanted to decimate Earth, if they wanted to destroy Earth, they want to take all our resources, they could have done it. They could have done it easily. I don't think, it, and I'm, I'm obviously a believer that aliens have visited Earth. I don't think they're here to destroy us. I think they're here to observe us. And like you said, maybe to protect us. You know, there may be some protection in there. I was having a conversation uh, yesterday or the day before, I think. And it was, I, I often revert to this. So if we just assume that aliens are so many thousands or millennia of, above us technologically, um, then it would also, we'd almost have to assume that they've had the same type of, and this is the example I'll use, that they've had to grow like we've, we're growing as a human. So like, you and I, if we if you were raised in California and I was raised in Europe, we're still going to grow. Right. We're going to have very similar growth patterns. We're going to struggle with some of the same things regardless of where we're from. So, like you say, that maybe they've already been through this growth and they understand and, and see that our, our nuclear weapons and our nuclear capabilities could create a problem that they've already had to deal with at their point of growth at some point, however many thousands of years ago in their civilization, and maybe they're just trying to prevent that from us. I do think it's neat that we we get these stories. This is from the 80s. Phoenix Lights was from the 90s. And we're just now in the late 2020, you know, in the 2020s. Stuff's still coming out. Our, our federal government is saying, hey, look at these things our F-18s couldn't handle. Yeah. <laughs> um, things we couldn't explain. And disclosure continues that drumbeat of happening. Um, and, and there's and there's not the mass hysteria that everyone's talking about. Well, no, most people and, and are, everyone's afraid of. If you ask people what the TikTok is or or the TikTok is, they're going to say it's a, a mouth drop. The TikTok is one of the first disclosures that the Navy released and said, hey, this is legit. We don't know what the hell this is. But look what it did to our F-18. We had a whole squad and we couldn't keep up with it. Yeah. 
If it did, if we did that, it would crush us. And we're the most. America is the most powerful military in the world. Seven hundred eighty billion dollars a we year spend on the military. More on our military than the rest of the world combined. By not even close. Not even seven hundred and eighty billion dollars is what and we spend we on our military. Can't explain these <laughs> supernatural, these these insane phenomena that that we find in in the air. I mean, it's it's and it's honestly it. Do you want me to go ahead and get into my? Yeah, go ahead, uh, uh, Jerry. No, I'm yeah, done. Go okay, ahead. so I I did some research just to, you know, I knew we were talking about aliens. I knew I know there's a lot of people who are like ah you know I'm not really sure if I believe in aliens. I just want to want to say so astronomers estimate that there are between 100 and 200 billion galaxies. These are galaxies in the observable universe. So these are the galaxies that we can actually see. So from the beginning of of Earth's existence at the beginning of the like, the universe's existence. Yeah, I was going to say, the Earth's very the, young. The, yeah, the, the universe's existence. You know, light has been traveling to Earth from billion, hundreds of billions of light years away. So, the observable universe that we can see, we have 100 to 200 billion galaxies. All right. When estimating the number of miss, missed galaxies, some astronomers come up with a number of 2 trillion. Which is an unfathomable number of galaxies. So we live in the Milky Way. No, we're not talking planets. Right, we're talking talking about galaxies. He's going to get to that in a minute. Galaxies. All right, so we live in the Milky Way galaxy. One of the smaller ones. And we estimate that the Milky Way galaxy, and this is this is conservative numbers here, has between eight hundred and three point two trillion planets. And some estimate that we have as much as 8 trillion planets. In one galaxy. And in, in this one... Smaller like said, size. Smaller size galaxy. This, the Milky Way. So, I'm going to take the conservative calculation of 100 billion galaxies, which is the lower end of galaxies in our observable universe, not the universe that we haven't even been able to see yet, our observable universe, and then multiply that by 800 billion planets, which is the lower end of estimation of how many planets are in our galaxy, which is, again, one of the smaller ones. Keep in mind, some are bigger, and there are sm- some smaller galaxies. That would mean that there are Da-da-da-da-da. eight with 22 zeros, <laughs> 22 zeros, planets in our observable universe. Wow. Eight, so, I want you to, I, everybody at home, I want you to just write eight <laughs> and then just put 22 zeros <laughs> on a piece of paper and just realize how unfathomable that number is. So just so you guys know, eight with six zeros would be eight million. Eight with nine zeros is eight billion. We have 22 zeros here. <laughs> to put that in a number that maybe we could wrap our heads around. The odds one in whatever that is eight so, to the twenty two zeros. Okay. What are compare this to winning a lottery, which is so okay, yeah. Can't so, exist, right? I, I did this too. So, so if we consider our planet is the only planet capable of intelligent life, 
in the entire universe. Some people would argue against the intelligence part, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they listen to this show very long, they damn sure would be. <laughs> so, it'd be... Zero, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say the amount of zeros so you guys at home can just somewhat fathom this. In, so if we said our planet was the only planet in the entire universe capable of intelligent life, and we use the conservative numbers that, that astronomers have come up with, it'd be 0. 0.0000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000
who came up with what's called the Drake Equation. Yeah. And it's basically saying that the number of civilizations with which humans could communicate, so that's saying it, human, their intelligent life, it equals... So he came up with this equation to, to estimate how many planets contain intelligent life. So he, he said it was equal to the mean rate of star formation times the fraction of stars that have planets times the mean <laughs> number of planets that could support life per star with planets times the fraction of life supporting planets <laughs> that develop life. I'm going to take your, your, your stool off there in a second. Times the fraction of planets with life where <laughs> life develops intelligence. Because we found life on Mars. We found fossilized bacteria on Mars, which we would not consider intelligent. Fraction of in at times the fraction of intelligent civilization civilizations that develop communication. <laughs> Times the mean length of time that civilizations can communicate. So times, basically, the mean length of time that civilizations will exist. So there's actually an equation that comes out. And if you ask many physicists and astronomers, they'll come up with very different numbers. But just saying that it it's the fact that we would think that our life is the only intelligent life on this planet is essentially impossible. <laughs> you did all of that to that? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> My little engineer. <laughs> a little engineer that could. So, I'm sure people have ran the formula. What's the number? I, it, it, well, it depends. Huge variance. It varies. Yeah. It varies. It, low to, but low to high. none of them are one. Exactly. None of them are one. That's... And you that's, had to give a number, say, average that you I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I couldn't. Big I couldn't. number, probably, right? More, more than one. Yeah. And, and, and that's way what's important. It, way more than one. And, 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 and just in our galaxy, just the, the, and not even not even in the whole universe, because, the, again, there are hundreds, billions, hundreds of billions, trillions of, of, of galaxies in the universe. Part of the Drake equation, and the part that I find the most interesting about it, because I've read about that on, on several occasions, is the fact that it doesn't just account for life. It accounts for life in a situation and a time in their civilization that they could actually, A, could reach to the stars, B, would want to, right. and C, would actually do it. Because just look at our civilization. We, we're on the brink of nuclear war, potentially. You know, what it, a lot of stuff's happening with Israel, Ukraine, and Russia, we, we, Iran. We, we literally are a civilization that's a few thousand years old. Few thousand years old. You know what I'm saying, right? So, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, so it's it, it's it's uh yeah it's it. Anyways, but well, that was interesting. I think so. It's a lot I, I of think, numbers. It is a lot of numbers. <laughs> I, I, I live on numbers. <laughs> Mr. Frank Drake came up with that. Frank in Drake, 1961. yeah, sixty-one. Yeah, Mexican physicist. Quaaludes, and it's still <laughs> used to this day. <laughs> That's what it I'm going to say. Still used to this day is yeah. is the Drake equation, and it's. It, you ask any would, physicist or astronomer, they would, know exactly what it is. So you're I would about. almost bet he ran Von Daniken's book, Chariots of the Gods. Just saying. Maybe. And or you, maybe they base their book upon his theory. I'm, I'm also maybe. pretty sure, don't quote me on this, I'm going off memory here, but I'm oh, pretty sure he came up with, uh, he, he talked about how, um, uh, oh goodness, uh, warp travel, which was from Star Trek, was possible. I, don't quote me on this. I'm probably wrong. 
but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's the same guy that came up that, that talked Very about possible. how was how that was possible. Smart though. guys tend to say smart stuff. Again, don't quote me on this. No, no, you're quoted. Somebody's gonna Google this and be yeah. like, "You're send completely all, wrong." Please send all hate mail to Brett at New. No, Bay. do not do that. <laughs> But so, so this show is called Newsworthy. I think we talked about two things that I am in, in my lifetime. I feel like I should have should have at least heard about. Heard about I right in, totally in, in school and whatever on TikTok. I don't. I, I mean anything. This so I should have heard about. I think news. what you're really saying is it does it deserve more or less news coverage? I think it deserves a hundred times more. Absolutely news coverage. That's three totally thumbs agree. up for us on Newsworthy. Two words and two question marks. Man, that episode is really interesting. And if you'll stick around for us for just a few commercials, we have another great story to tell you. Hi, this is Ed Locke with USA Mortgage. When it comes to buying a home, the process can be overwhelming and confusing. With so many options, it can be hard to know where to start. That's why it's important to work with a certified mortgage loan originator. I have the knowledge and expertise to guide you through the process and find the best mortgage option for you. I will work with you every step of the way to ensure that you are getting the best deal possible. So if you're looking to purchase or refinance, please reach out to me at 502-680-0953. So don't take on the stress of buying a home alone. Work with me and I will make your dream a reality. Trust the professionals and make your home buying experience a positive one. MLS ID 448908, DAS Acquisition Company, LLC, doing business as USA Mortgage, MLS ID 227262. This is not a commitment to lend. Additional terms and conditions apply. USA Mortgage is equal housing opportunity. If you want us to review or rate your product on air, if you have suggestions for new episodes, awesome ghost stories, or anything else, please reach out to us. Our email address is newsworthywithstephenjerry at gmail.com. Our text number is area code 540-709-1318. And now, back to the story. Steve and Jerry, you've heard how the woolly caterpillar can predict the weather based on the color, right? Yes, sir. Sure. So according to folklore, the amount of black on a woolly bear caterpillar in autumn varies equally with the severity of the coming winter where the insect is found. Yeah, all black, bad winter. Right. That's what I've heard all my life. If the woolly bear is mostly black, it will be a very harsh and severe winter. But if the woolly caterpillar has an orange stripe, it means that the winter will be mild. The wider the red-orange band is, the more mild the upcoming winter will be. However, the National Weather Service said this is merely a myth. And the <gasps> caterpillar cannot predict what winter will bring. So, all of our grandmothers have been wrong this entire time. Dun, dun, dun. I'm going to quit buying the farmer, farmer's <laughs> almanac. So according to the agency, the coloring of the woolly bear caterpillar has to do with its age, species, and what has it has been feeding on. The better the growing season, the larger the caterpillar becomes, and in turn gives the insect a narrower red-orange band in the middle. So this band can be an indicator of the current or past growing season rather than how harsh the winter will be. Additionally, the coloring indicates the age of the woolly bear caterpillar. NWS said that the caterpillars shed their skins six times before reaching adult size, becoming less black and more red-orange. 
These caterpillars ultimately turn into tiger moths, and there are 260 different species of those moths in the world. And Jerry, if you can't see the light, be the light. <laughs>